Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the motherlode, and this show is all about the world of Morgis. It is the will of the drowned god, Katala, that we Okay, I want to say thank you to all of the supporters who support the show, and it is an ever-growing list, not necessarily always because... More people are supporting, but because I am figuring out new ways to figure out who is supporting. So, we'll go through the list right now. It's Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Night Owl, Tones, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nabe, Steve, NVZ, Catman, and Simico. All for giving in different ways. Some of them are Patreon supporters. Some of them are people who just give personally through PayPal or through um, our credit card link. Some are people who go through our Amazon affiliate link and buy a shitload of shit on Amazon, which is a totally seamless way to do it. And most recently I figured out how to figure out who's subscribing to us on Twitch. So uh, NVZ Catman and Samiko, who has been subscribing for a hell of a long time, and I'm super Super fucking sorry that I haven't been saying thank you all along. Thank you very much, man. I uh, really appreciate that. And um, we'll try to say thank you as much as possible going uh, forward. So, yeah, man, I'm overwhelmed with the amount of support that the Keep has been getting. And the Drowned God Kathala thanks you also. We are also supported by folks who go to our Redbubble page and buy merchandise such as our t-shirts as well as Nitro subscribers over on Discord who are personally seeing to the sound quality of this podcast. So we very much appreciate every single motherfucking one of you. This is awesome, man. This is a listener-supported gig, dude. We don't have any like actual ads on here, so fuck yeah. Hope to keep it that way. I don't want to put ads on the show. I mean, it, I've got offers. And I don't know. If it was the right ad, if it was like the right people with the right product, I would go for it. But in general, like, I don't know. I just hate when I tune into podcasts that I like to listen to and I have to sit through a fucking ad about some shit that I'm never, ever going to buy. Uh, you know, just to get to the content I don't want to hear. And I, and I get how it works and I'm I'm not... Uh, disillusioned to how you know capitalism and the market system works and all that I, I get it but i prefer if we could keep it listener supported if there was some way that we could keep this thing afloat uh without having to resort to that let's keep it going man this is uh nothing but good stuff so far so into the future i hope that we keep going in the same direction go to quakefans.net for all things arena fps Independent FPS for anything retro FPS. Quakefans.net is your spot. If you like Quake, if you like games like Quake, you will love Quakefans.net and all of the content that gets posted there. If you love Quake Champions and you want to be a competitive member, I also recommend you go check out RocketJump.Zone. They have American and European competitive events every week. RocketJump.Zone. Go fucking be competitive. It's awesome. <laughs> if you like Quake Champions, I really recommend that, man. They're a cool group of folks, Champ, and I love Capelli. He's been a supporter for a long time and also just a fan of him on a personal level. Love his stream, love everything he does. 
Go show those guys some love because they deserve it. Let's get into this podcast because this is a interesting one. Uh, because a lot of the people who tune into this podcast, as you've just heard from me, uh, given all these plugs, uh, tune in for content oriented around first-person shooters, retro first-person shooters, classic first-person shooters, arena first-person shooters. That's not what this one's about. This one's about faith, and faith is definitely not a first-person shooter in any fucking stretch of the imagination. This is a top-down, MS-DOS-style, you know, very not first-person shooter-y type of game. Why, Motherload, are you making a podcast under the name of In The Keep about such a game? I'll tell you why. Because it's fucking awesome. It's an awesome game. It's being published by New Blood. They've made nothing but games that you love. Eredorf is a really, really awesome developer. He's made uh, not only just Faith, but also games like The Wind, and he will be working on other games like that uh, as well, which are interactive trailers for uh, films that he's you know gotten the chance to do advertisement for and everything. Just a generally really cool interview with a really cool guy from the independent game development scene, and I... I it, it was my personal prerogative dictated down by the drowned god to do this interview and I really hope that you not only enjoy the interview itself but go over to itch.io or whatever it is that you use and pick up a uh, a copy of the first episode of, of Faith and then throw your money after you play that at Airdorf to continue to make stuff like this because he's so incredible. I can't tell you enough how big of a fan I am of this. This is one of those rare podcasts where, like, I'm going to jump out of my seat up and down over and over to tell you how much I love this game and I love this developer. So please give a warm welcome and let's get in the keep with Airdorf. Howdy, everyone. I'm Airdorf. I uh, I made a game called Faith back in 2017, and I made the sequel in 2019, last year, I think. <laughs> and uh, besides that, I do contract work for uh, creative contract work for indie film companies. Uh, I made a tie-in game for the movie The Wind, which is like a horror horror movie and i made a promotional game for them and i have a unannounced game coming out either this week or next week for another film company and i'm in talks to do like three more <laughs> suddenly my non-faith work is like just as important as my faith work but currently working with new blood interactive who is my publisher and we're working on getting faith the unholy trinity on steam and console i'm from texas that that's pretty much my life while I was waiting on you to uh, take that 20 minutes to get here, I was playing through the wind again, which I've played probably three times now. And Oh, great. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you're doing like the, it's like a playable trailer. Like, and if you're going to be doing more of that, that's really cool. Uh, unfortunately I've played that game like three times. I still haven't seen the film. So can you kind of give us the gist of it and how you got uh, to work on that project and everything? Yeah, it's, it's it's funny how uh it's funny how showbiz works actually. So before I started all this game stuff, I wanted to be in the film uh film and animation and animation for film. 
before I got into games. And it's true what they say about that industry. It's all about who you know. And uh, yeah, out of the blue, I got emailed by a, uh, a film company, IFC Midnight. And they, um, I actually got to, they actually connected with me because Faith was recommended to them by someone who headed up a show that I, or a conference or a convention that I went to called Fantastic Arcade in Austin, Texas. So the organizer of Fantastic Arcade, uh, who knew me because I presented my work on Faith there, uh, recommended me because they were specifically looking for an Oregon Trail type game, but that could be twisted for like paranormal and, and demonic stuff. And <laughs> apparently I'm like the only person who does that. So <laughs> lucky for me, I got the tip off from uh, the organizer of Fantastic Arcade and he put us in touch and they needed a game produced, a promo game, but they needed it done in 10 days. <laughs> and um, so they gave me a 10 day, I had a, uh, I had a two week turnaround, but I ended up having it to do in 10 days because I was going to GDC right at the end of those 14 days. And so basically I was, I went to GDC and by day I would go to the convention and by night until like 3 a.m. I would be working on the game and getting it finished, but <laughs> got it finished in time. And I wouldn't have taken, I wouldn't have taken that gig if I didn't think it was a good opportunity. And if they didn't pay me like a shit ton of money to do it, cause they gave me a 10 day turnaround, I guess they felt really bad. And, um, working for, working for showbiz is very interesting for one. They, um, they don't really know that much about game production. So there's a lot of, they have misconceptions about how long it takes, uh, how much effort, uh, they didn't know I'm a one person studio. Um, lucky for me, they didn't know exactly, um, how much to pay me. And so I was able to negotiate a pretty, something that I believe is pretty fair for game development on such a short notice. But most importantly, I, because, uh, they were so impressed with, my work on the wind the director of the of the wind actually recommended my work to another film director and at the same time another a, a third film company saw my work on the wind and wanted me to do a game for their upcoming horror comedy which will be released it'll be on VOD I think in March or April and I'll be able to release that game in about a week or so maybe two weeks so it's all about who you know i apparently they all talk to each other and but yeah if i didn't have faith and if i didn't like put myself out there and try to go to like small time conventions and conferences um i wouldn't have made those connections so i got pretty lucky but it's been pretty fun so far the wind is really cool it's um it's it's actually really creepy and it's very like somber and dark and it's like half supernatural horror, half like paranormal, um, supernatural and half, um, like psychological. So I would recommend it. I think it's, I think it's on VOD, uh, for a couple platforms. I got yeah. to see the movie for free. So, and I haven't seen it since. So I don't know what platforms it's on, but that's great that you play it. Um, yeah, thanks for playing it. I, um, uh, I always wonder if people actually play my stuff or if they just watch YouTube videos. <laughs> I, 
honestly, I couldn't say one way or the other. I know for sure I've played all of it and I love it, or at least, you know, what's available to me. I, I want to point out like a few sentences ago, you actually said, if I didn't have faith and that was like really like, <laughs> yeah, know. there's oh, the metaphor. Okay. Yeah. No, that's really did, neat though, man. Well, um, faith wasn't the very first game I made. I used to, um, this is going to take me back, uh, Back in like 2000, 2001, uh, there's this program called Zelda Classic. It was mm-hmm. made by Ar- Armageddon Games, and it was a ROM hack of the original Legend of Zelda, and they made an editor to where you could mod it really easily. And so uh, there's this whole community. If you go to, I think it's purezc.net or zeldaclassic.com, you can still find some of my old stuff. But like back in eighth grade, I was like making games and like putting them out there. And uh, I learned really quick what what bad game design was because I was only like twelve and uh, or thirteen, and um, I made another one of those when I was like a senior in high school, and then uh, and it did okay. Got four out of five heart containers on their little rating on their little database and and stuff. There's actually a really long let's play of it somewhere. And on YouTube, and I, I watched it a couple of years ago. It was really surreal watching like someone play something that I made like ten years ago. And um, and then I did uh, I took a game design class in college, and I made a game uh, based on that, but it's not it's not released. And then I don't know, just out of the blue, it was I've always been into horror games. It's probably the genre that I enjoy the most, besides first person shooters and. If you can find a first-person horror game, a shooter horror game, that's you know that's like the holy grail of me. But I, uh, it was right after PT, and uh, I was lucky enough to play it right when it came out. Me too. And so I got the totally blind experience. I I, I experienced like going on the game facts and like just marveling at all the hidden stuff that people were discovering and all of the collaboration that was going on in the internet, just trying to figure this thing out. And then when we started figuring out the true ending and that it was silent Hills, you know, it was, it was awesome. Um, so anyway, Lord bless and keep it and screw Konami for <laughs> torpedoing Kojima's project. But it sounds like Konami is going to try to revitalize the silent Hill franchise. And hopefully they learned their lesson from about PT, but it might be too little too late, but that's probably for another day. So anyway, it was that during this PT uh, craze, and there was a lot of not copycats, but the, it it definitely influenced the indie horror genre around 2014, 2015, uh, with like Visage and Alice in Road, which I I think got stuck in development hell, and other games like Routine, which are like never going to come out, but were like very much inspired by PT. And I think Layers of Fear was like the first in it first like really uh first very extensive like comprehensive game that was based on pt but i think pt just introduced a ton of design principles that just got us out of the slenderman fnaf clone days um and faith was a direct response to like the fnaf era Mm -hmm. i really i really liked five nights at five nights at freddy's and i really liked the second one but I think like YouTube let's play culture and like fandom culture kind of it made it less accessible to other people, I suppose. And uh, so I, I made a response to it and I thought to myself, what if I just made a horror game with the most rudimentary 
basic graphics I could think of. So I chose kind of an Atari uh, 2600 or Apple II or MS-DOS aesthetic. And I picked like a, a really weird as, um, aspect ratio and resolution and did a little research. And uh, it started out as just being in the woods and being chased by Michael, who I, I didn't even have a name for him yet. But And then it kind of took on its own story. And um, I basically did it in my free time while I was uh, like doing my master's thesis in college. And it's turned out to probably be one of the single most important things I've ever done creatively. Um, the response was has been pretty insane and kind of humbling. And I've kind of gotten to, I, I, I did what I want to do, which was kind of establish myself in the indie horror community. And man, they are such great people and such creative minds and very supportive and lots of great ideas. And then, uh, I don't know. I think I just joke tweeted about a publisher and Dave contacted me and apparently he really, it became pretty apparent talking to him that he really believed in the project. And so I'm very, very lucky to have him and the rest of new blood team supporting me and encouraging me. And hopefully, uh, hopefully with chapter three and the unholy Trinity, putting them all together, um, I'll be able to make a pretty good, pretty big statement and, make something that people really enjoy and most importantly something that scares people <laughs> it is absolutely terrifying and that's what I, what I really like about this type of game in general I've spent many hours trying to explain to my friends why I love this game so much because you know some people look at graphics and they're like I don't understand to me it's <laughs> like uh you know just the way that the, uh, the you can walk through the woods and then you continue on walking in a direction that actually you're not really moving in you're just going to keep repeating the same frame over and over again that kind of thing can add a lot to a horror, you know, as a genre or even just, you know, enemies that will do the same thing. Like if you're Michael just comes out from any random direction or whatever to chase you through the woods. I don't know why, but yeah, it seems like simplicity and uh, it may be a Lovecraftian thing. The more vague, the more, uh, uh, the less details you have, you know, the more horror you actually experience. The fear of the unknown is kind of the ultimate beer yeah uh you hit the nail on the head um that's lovecraft as i'm sure you know the most important the most important emotion that we can experience is fear and the most important type of fear is fear of the unknown i'm paraphrasing but it's in in his book i actually didn't read any lovecraft until i was getting ready to make chapter two nice all i wanted to do but what what would really and 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 what I'm about to describe is definitely it 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 definitely ties into to the Lovecraftian like fear of the unknown. But what really inspired one of the biggest pieces of inspiration for Faith was the scene in the Blair Witch Project. Have you seen it? I've seen both of them. Yeah. Uh, wait, you saw Blair Witch Project Two, Book of Shadows, or whatever? <laughs> no, the the Blair oh, yeah, Witch movie, the Adam Wingard Blair Witch. Oh, just, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I saw that one recently. It was. It was okay. The ending was yeah. the ending was cool, and they did some cool stuff with the drones. But man, you just cannot beat the first one. Um, first one's one of my top horror movies of all time, and it has this one scene where um, they're in the tent and they're trying to figure out what this noise is, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and there's like hands pounding. There's like they get like handprints on the tent, and it's like shaking, and so they're all freaking out, and they're running outside the tent, and the um, 
the woman who's filming who's holding the camera she's like trying to get her bearings and then all of a sudden she screams like oh my god what the f is that you know and she sees something off screen that the camera doesn't see you never see it in the movie but she sees something that is so horrifying to her but that she can't even comprehend right. and um the funny thing is is that when they were making the movie uh what she really saw was a crew member dressed up in a white sheet wearing a halloween mask <laughs> something super cheesy and so if if we actually saw that in the film that that scene wouldn't have that much impact but because of the implied horror experience off screen it becomes our experience because you know it's found footage movie where we're attached to this camera right. and um, to what the camera sees and man i i thought about that scene for a long time and it definitely tied into like this this theme of of the unknown and i thought that that would be a excellent like an excellent way to portray that would be with through pixel art the chunkier the better and so most of my work is is when i design like a demon or a monster for faith or the faith series i basically just start with a blob of pixels and i kind of build off from there and if it looks like something that would that could like bust out of a window towards the player and the player would react with that same reaction like oh my god what the f is that then that's a good thing and i keep it in you know i try not to be too representational with my with the graphics um but especially with like the creature and the like the demonic like paranormal design it's got to be something that's like familiar but but something that like shouldn't be there, something that makes you feel like the game is reaching out towards you. Mm-hmm. And the rotoscope cutscenes really help with that, which are like a whole nother thing entirely. I almost, I, I actually wasn't planning on making them until later on in production. And I'm very, very glad that I included them. I'm very happy that you brought that up because that's one of the things that I think stands out the most about people, especially when you're watching, you know, the trailers for the games. One of the things that made me want to buy it was like, Holy shit, man! That that looks amazing, and you know the the scene where you're you know you wake up on the bed and just uh just ah these crazy demonic things standing at the end of the bed, and you're like, oh my god, it's it's so I don't know the the vague the vagueness of it is what makes it so horrific. I can't repeat that enough. And I, I just recently saw the color out of space. I don't know if you've uh, gone through the the new one with Nicolas Cage. Yes. I have no, I haven't seen it. I saw that, Annihilation, which is sort of based on Color Out of Space, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen this Nicolas Cage one. Well, I mean, I, definitely everybody's going to have their opinion about Nicolas Cage, and mine is that uh, he's insane and his acting is insane. <laughs> and the fact I love Mandy, yeah, the fact that he uh, is playing someone who is insane uh, adds, in my opinion, to the film. Yeah, Tommy Chong also helps too, because it, it's it doesn't take itself seriously. It's not a film that's supposed to be like, you know, it, we're not looking at a Stanley Kubrick film. We're looking at a, a B horror movie with. Some, oh, okay. Yeah, it's really fun, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. But that's one of the things about it is that, uh, he, you know, in the color out of space, just the book. Let's say a color that you see that you can't comprehend or describe to someone else is terrifying. Uh, seeing a figure at the end of the bed that's got. Like, who knows what's going on there? I don't know how you, you know, as you said, you, you kind of started with a chunk of things and then whittle it down until it resembled something. Or how did you go about making these scenes? I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is the rotoscoping stuff is really something that makes faith super special and made it stand out to me and a lot of other people. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> that makes my day here in that. Yeah. Um, that's, I don't want to say it happened by accident, but I, 
I didn't really know how people would react to it. Um, I didn't know anything about production or like publishing on itchy on itch.io or game jolt or anything. Um, I just knew that I really wanted to put something out there and, um, and so it, it's been really interesting, the reception so far. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like chapter two was when I really got kind of comfortable with faiths, uh, with like the style and felt like I was expanding the, the lore and the mechanics and, uh, the art style in, in ways that, you know, didn't feel like a Disney sequel, you know, mm-hmm. but what, but then again, it wasn't, um, then again, it wasn't too derivative. And, uh, I was, I was panicking during chapter two's production. Um, cause I usually go it alone. I do this thing where I just like, I just make it and then I'll do, throw like a party with my inner circle of friends, um, uh, who are made up of like game designers and QA people and, um, and people in the creative industry and stuff. And I'll usually have like a unveiling party and see what they think. And their opinion really matters to me. Uh, of course we don't catch all the bugs on the, during those parties and I end up having to like stress out and do a lot of bug squashing the first week. But now that I have a QA team with new blood, it's, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a lot, going to be a lot better. But yeah, I, I really wasn't sure. And I was doubting myself the whole time during chapter two because I've never made a sequel before to any of my works and, um, you know, not at least not one that mattered. And, um, I think I got really lucky. I, I, I had to be pretty restrained with chapter two. And there's actually quite a bit that was cut out that will be in chapter three. And uh, chapter three is going to be very big, probably longer than chapter two and chapter one combined. And yet I'm trying really hard to not turn my back on kind of the small, simple scale that was the first game. Right. And um, so we'll see. Based on people's reactions to like the, like the screenshots and the footage that I posted on social media, um, I think it's going to be pretty good. I don't know what I'm going to do when it's all over. Somebody recently asked me, like, what are you going to do after Faith? I was like, what do you mean after Faith? Like, hope. Am I going to actually finish this or not? <laughs> but I I want to get Chapter 3 out this year, or at least on Early Access this year. I know some people don't like Early Access, but that's just kind of the model I'm choosing. So we'll see. You you did mention that you had the, the QA team, but uh, my understanding when I was talking to David Szymanski was that you, you kind of have a lot of freedom to kind of work on your own on this. Like they're not, and this is what I would have expected knowing those guys is that they're not going to be sticking their hand in your pot and trying to like tell you what to do with your game. They just kind of want to lead you, you know, to make the best product that you feel that you can make. And, but then yeah. you do have the resources of those guys that are there to test it out and help you with any assets you might need or, or you know, QA bugs, as you said. How is yeah. the, how's the relationship going? And are you enjoying having a publisher in New Blood? Honestly, I would not have I would not have gone with them if I didn't think they were the best publisher that I could ask for right now in this time in my career. Like seriously, like like Dave is really smart for one, uh, for example, and uh, like I said before when I first met him or when I first had my first like calls with him to kind of figure out what, what they had in mind, uh, it was apparent really quick that he believed in my project and he believed in me. And that meant a lot. It wasn't like, Hey, we think you have a great idea, but if you did it like this, then, you know, we could make a lot of money, you know, uh, Dave's motto or the whole new blood motto is we hate money, (laughs) which is 
hard for a hard for a graduate student to <laughs> to accept, but it's just something. It's just um, the the point of it is that you know they don't do crunch. They try not to rush. They don't rush things, and uh, they take the time that they need to make make the game that they want to make that will you know that will knock people's socks off. And I was really honored to be approached by the same people who did Dusk because I really like Dusk. I don't know if David mentioned this, but David and I were in a Steam clan for uh, Aliens vs. Predator 2000 he he for did. a long time. Yeah, when he was when he was known as Hefe Queso, and um, he didn't say that. Yeah, and um, he, uh, I forget my old my old Steam names, but yeah, um, when I learned he did was doing game dev stuff, I saw that Markiplier played Fingerbones, which was the title of his. And he he would send me keys for some of his stuff, and I would I would I would play some of his games myself and and stuff. And when I heard about Dusk, I was just like, oh, that's cool! Like, yeah, man, I never done an FPS before. And a couple years later, he finished Dusk, and it ended up being like it ended up being I think it's like the number one first person shooter on Steam, or like the highest rated first person shooter on Steam, and uh, being a tremendously successful indie game. And uh, happens to be one of my favorite all-time favorite indie games and and stuff. And so working with them, and then some of the other titles that they've done, like a Medieval and uh, Gloomwood is upcoming. Maximum Action is like so ridiculous. Like I was a little intimidated at first because they were all retro FPSs, and then there's Faith, which is like a gun with one bullet at the most. <laughs> yeah, and stuff. And so I was a little intimidated, but man those guys are so cool and they made me feel right at home. I think I fit in pretty well with them. And, uh, it's exactly like you said, I have complete Liberty. Um, when I did my contract with Dave, um, he was real clear about like help letting me retain IP rights and merchandising rights and stuff. And basically he said, like, I'm gonna like, when you're like headed over a cliff, I'm going to stop you and tell you what I think. But if you want to keep doing, keep going over that cliff, you're free to do that. It's just that, you know, we have the experience of making games that, you know, making games that make an impact on people. And so, uh, we kind of have a really cool relationship. Like, um, I often ask for their feedback and advice, but I never feel like, I have to perform a certain way or that I'm going to be like audited or reviewed by them. There's other publishers that will, that where you basically have to pass inspection every quarter if you want funding from them. Right. Um, or if you want their support, uh, and funding, um, with, uh, with new bloods, uh, I had a very different arrangement and it was very, like, it was very agreeable for me, the developer. It and, sounds uh, like, uh, David has a lot of faith in you. <laughs> it's true but um, truly yeah yeah i um i can tell that they're excited about the game and they're just and they're excited like i'm excited about it and they're very encouraging and very supportive um and um they've been helping me navigate the game the game dev twitter landscape which can be kind of a minefield and um, some other stuff and Dave gives really good PR advice and he has a lot of great ideas for like promoting and, and stuff. And so, like I said, I did, I did my research and I, I knew what I wanted going in and 
it was just what I needed at this point in my my career as an indie dev. And so I'm really excited to keep to keep working with them. Absolutely. One of the things that you brought up, and this is uh, something that also pertains to me, is that, as you said, New Blood is kind of known for these retro first-person shooter games, and so is The Keep. And I will at some point have to justify to my audience why I decided, like, hey, I'm just going to interview this guy who makes you know these MS DOS top-down horror games that have you know one <laughs> instance of shooting anything, and what, the way that you explained how they treat you in New Blood kind of resonates with me a lot. And I think that I, I don't know Ashri as well as you do clearly at all. Like I've only met the guy once and talked to him briefly through messages. Oh, but I, well, you know him better than I do because I've never met him in person. <laughs> okay, well. I mean, I talk to him every week, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I uh, guess I'll see him at PAX maybe. So one of the things about him, though, is that I, I get the impression that he's just this guy who really believes in the stuff that he works on you know everything that he actually picks up is like he sees it and he really likes it to begin with base level before he ever puts his hands on it uh you know i've been told by a few different people that you know before they decide to publish a game you're coming to them with a demo you're not going to come in with a pitch or anything like he wants to see something he saw your work already like he saw faith as you've already created it and said i I really want to bring that into my fold. He knew that New Blood wanted to publish a horror game and they you're the perfect fit. For me, it's like uh I could give a shit less if you're this is a first person shooter or not. This game appeals to me in the same way that Dusk did, in the same way that a lot of these games that really honestly, dude, I'm not trying to like oh, man. Your ass, but <laughs> it touches me. It really does. This is it's like you made a game specifically for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people feel that way. Um so I really appreciate that, but also that that speaks to I what the product that I think we'll end up getting with Faith Three, and with the the, the Unholy Trinity package in general. Yeah, I uh, it was I think it was Mark Brown. He has his game design um, channel on YouTube, and he mm-hmm. he gave some really good advice at the end of one of his videos that's always stuck with me. It's that try to avoid instead of making a game that you know everyone will like make a game that you know a few people will absolutely love. Exactly. Luck- luckily, with in Faith's case, it's um, it's not exactly a few people, but it's it's relatively few people who like it. But the people who like it really love it, apparently. <laughs> like, I see some of like, the fan art and stuff that, and the memes that people make, and I, I never should have told them what, software i use to make the voices because now they're just making now like the faith the faith memes with the voices are just coming out of the woodwork <laughs> but yeah like i it's, it sounds weird to say it but it has a fan base and it's kind of a cult following and it's been really something but i'm gonna sound like i'm just singing dave's praise praises but this is the honest to gosh truth like i've never seen the guy in a panic i've never seen the guy in a bad mood besides hungover and I've never, um, I've I've never had an instance of telling him something and and he didn't have a plan immediately, you know. And um, he it's deceptive. Like he he sounds really easygoing, but at the same, but you know, behind all that, he is very professional and he has you know he has expectations for what he wants for his branding. I think recently there was a dev on Twitter who was asking around for publishers and stuff and and they mentioned new bloods and to developers like that who are interested in getting a publisher 
it's like you said, you really have to have something to show. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, 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 there are probably publishers. I'm assuming there are that will take like an elevator pitch, you know? Um, but the, the level of professionality that Dave and my peers at new bloods exhibit is pretty, uh, it's, it's deceptive, but it's definitely there. They're probably going to listen to this and be like, this is bullshit. All we do is just, all we do is just goof around all day, but, but they work really hard and, and they all have really like, they all have a really good, uh, I'm really impressed by their like game design savvy and, and how they can analyze things critically and stuff. It's not just a bunch of fan. Well, I mean, they're, they're fanboys of like things that they, they're fans of the things that they like, but they don't let that cloud their judgment. They're, they're critical of everything. And, um, you know, they're not afraid to be open and honest with feedback and criticism and stuff. And that's what I really like about them. But yeah, Dave specifically, like, um, it's easy to mistake him for someone who's really easygoing. Um, I think, the best way to see it is that he makes it, he makes it look easy because he just always has an idea for what he wants to do. And I think I remember um, this example of this is when I was trying to find key art for the Unholy Trinity Steam page, and I remember this piece of concept art that uh, <laughs> that we found that I really wanted to be on the like the header and like the banner stuff. So I contacted the artist and Dave was like, yeah, uh, CC me on it. I was like, okay. I was like, and so I contacted them. I was like, Hey, uh, my name is Erdorf. I made faith and I just want to make sure, I just want to say that I really liked your work. In fact, I'd like to use this piece as the header and the banner for, um, for the steam page. Uh, so, you know, what do you think? Like, I'd like to learn, I'd, I'd like to know your, uh, you know, what, your rate and and what you would charge for for the rights to use this on our page and i've also copied dave uh my publisher and <laughs> so and dave emailed them and the email read uh the email it was one sentence almost no punctuation it was just yes art good how much can we how much we can have <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like what like that's the most ridiculous sounding email I've ever read. <laughs> but um and I didn't um uh, and the the person emailed back and they gave a quote and I thought the quote was kind of high, but that was probably just me being a cranky cranky game dev, but I didn't hear back from him in the, the deadline that I had set for myself for or Halloween was approaching, that's when we wanted to launch the Steam page for Unholy Trinity. And I hadn't heard back from him, so I was like messaging Dave in a panic. I was like, "Hey, so whatever happened with this artist? Like, I wanted to tell him, like, did you scare this person away with like your really primitive sounding email?" <laughs> he messaged me back. He's like, "Oh yeah, I took care of it. Um, your your art's up on the Google Drive." I was like, "Oh," <laughs> and he gets stuff done. Like he gets results, and he has his own way of doing it. And um, I can get I can get kind of paranoid and uptight about stuff like that. So I've kind of learned to just kind of roll with it. Now there's a lot to be said for networking and knowing how to talk to people though. I mean, you look at like Carmack oh, and Romero, like that. Yeah, two absolutely. Sides of the same coin, really. I guess my point is, is that, um, like don't underestimate Dave's like level of professionality yeah. and his ability to get shit done. Like, um, I'm very impressed with him and the entire team. It's been a very positive experience. 
So I was listening to an interview the other day. I think it was it was Ice T, like the rapper Ice T, or oh, yeah. the heavy heavy metal singer Body Count Ice T, and he was saying how there's a big difference in working for like record companies or any distribution company, and that they you know they demand a pretty large amount of your money that you generate or the product that you generate, and then they will typically assume that you know we're trying to push this product to sell millions of copies so that and if that is successful millions and millions of units get sold then your small percentage will add up to you making a large living and then they'll be you know filthy rich but sure. his take on it as you know as a guy who's been around the business for so long is like you don't really need that and i think you touched on this a little bit earlier with something like uh like what new blood's doing or like what specifically you've done with faith is that the people as you said who love this type of game, really, really love it. And you have a group of people, maybe, you know, even if it were only a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people who really fuck with you, man, who really jive with what you're doing here. Yeah. Say you charge them 10 bucks a pop. Like, like I want to buy a t-shirt, which I already did. And I want to buy, you know, I, I, you know, everything. I love faith so much. I want to buy the game. I want to give you everything (laughs) that you need to get me another, you know, another version of this game. Uh, or more stuff like it. I want to see you flourish as an artist so that I can continue to have it. Uh, that's being a patron of the arts. But people like me, if we're willing to spend $25 on a t-shirt, $10 on a game, $15, $20 on a game, whatever it happens to be to make sure that this keeps happening. If there's, if, like I said, there's a thousand of us, that's 30 times a thousand and keep doing the math, man, like go going up. You could really make a lot of money without having a gigantic audience. You just need an audience of people who really, really love your stuff. Um, and I think that's yeah. the way to do it. That That's a better way of thinking about uh, the relationship between a creator and an audience than this Disney marketing, like try to reach the widest amount of audience possible sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm never going to, I'm never going to ask for that Chinese money either. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure as hell not going to appease to them so that I can get into their market. Um, strangely enough, faith was on the, I guess the Chinese equivalent of YouTube. Someone did a playthrough of it and man, that interface is like something else there's a live chat, but it flashes across the screen. Like it travels across the screen while they're playing like, Hmm. like some weird Twitch chat. Anyway, uh, apparently faith made it to China. Um, uh, good for them for allowing my, my game. They're, they're probably the not offended by the Catholic stuff at all in China. So. Yeah. And I'm not even Catholic. So I don't like, you know, what's funny is that I have atheists email me and say that I really love faith because it's this poignant statement on the 1980s <laughs> satanic panic and the dangers of, you know, incorporating organized religion into your society. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. And then I get uh, I get Catholics uh, emailing me saying, hey, I just want to tell you that, like, I really love faith. Like, it teaches you that, like, righteousness prevails over the devil and that it's important to, like, be faithful and to, like, be righteous. And, like, I'm I'm a I'm a Christian myself, but I'm not Catholic. And I'm just like, OK, yeah, whatever. Like, that's so <laughs> faith awesome. isn't faith isn't meant to be preachy uh, either way. I wanted it to be kind of open ended open to interpretation but back to what you're saying about like mar- uh, pricing models and stuff that's something that i don't know anything about and uh, it looks like 9.99 is going to be the asking price for the unholy trinity which i think is fair and uh, that was actually something dave urged me to do because one of the first things he said was like dude you're asking a dollar for faith chapter two like you're shortchanging yourself yes and um, 
and I, I see that now, but eh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know anything. I just wanted people to play it. Um, you know, it's funny that, uh, so faith, faith chapter one is donationware on, uh, it's pay what you want on itch.io and game jolt and, uh, chapter two made more money in one month than faith did its first year and a half of release, but it has not, but it hasn't had nearly half of the downloads as chapter one. Yeah. So there's this like give and take. Like, I wanted Faith to be pay what you want because I didn't want to scare people away. I wanted people to have no barriers to experiencing the concept that I thought of because I knew that like a chunky Atari looking horror game would be a hard sell to a lot of people. But uh, I guess I just put put a lot of faith in like word and mouth, word of mouth and stuff. And it worked out, but um, now that I'm more established, I feel more comfortable paying what I believe I'm owed for the product and what I believe is a fair price. And uh, we'll see what happens. Again, I don't know that much about the business side of game dev. Uh, I, I have, I have these like, I have these like intense feelings of bewilderment when I see like a new game being sold for fifty nine ninety nine. You know, and it's by a AAA studio, hundreds of people working on it, and it doesn't even work on the first day. You got to yes. wait for the day one patch, and then you got to slog through microtransactions and in-app advertisements, and they want to like, charge you thirty dollars more for a a year's pass of DLCs that may or may not happen. Yeah, and and I fall for stuff like that too. There's this Ubisoft game called For Honor that I'm like obsessed with. Like I mm-hmm. literally dream about it, and um, my uh, I'm I'm currently like in the top nine percent in the world for this one character that you can play as, and so like. I, I get it. Like I'll 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 buy the DLC and stuff to like play new fighters and like new game modes and stuff like that because I'm really passionate about it. But like, it's very rare. Like that, I think for Honor, Doom 2016, I think those were the only modern, like post 2000 games that I paid full price for when they came out. And um, it's it's this is just me particularly. It's a combination of. Uh, my financial situation, the fact that I have a family that I should feed before I pay money to pay video play video games, and that I much prefer the retro era than modern games for the most part. There's exceptions, but it, it all points to this like longing for the days where you went to the store, you bought a cartridge, you put the cartridge in, you played it until you were done, and then you went out and bought another game. It's it's this the whole. Um, I think they call it the attention economy yeah. in, in game studies now has become such a thing in the AAA industry. Now, I, th- I think it's going to change. I think games like Doom Eternal and like double A games like Terminator uh, Resistance, which was which blew me away, which was phenomenal. I loved it. And uh, and I played it before Civi recommended it, but it's still good that he recommended it. God bless Civi. And, uh, uh, and there's a couple of games that just do not care about the whole microtransaction as a whole, like keep your attention for, for years, you know, and there's other games that I highly respect, like Fortnite, like it's annoying. And like the whole cultural surrounding it is not as annoying, but they made a shit ton of money and it's one of the most successful influential games uh, of all time, in my opinion. So like, I respect a lot of the AAA industry, but it is, you can, it is really hard for me personally in my, this time in my life, to justify shelling out $60 for the base game only to not have that investment 
pay off for me because of bugs, because of toxic game communities, because of, uh, you know, paywalls and microtransactions. I would like to see the games industry kind of return to the, or go back to the indie format to where it's, you know, it's a labor of love and, and Hellblade was a great example of that. Um, I'm sure they're going to blow us all away with Hellblade 2. You know, it was, they were just a small, I think they were like a 12 person team and they bought all their mocap stuff at on Amazon. And the result is one of the most emotive, uh, empathetic game characters I've ever seen in my life, you know? And so it can happen. And like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not ignorant of the, of the, like the economic implications of like, Oh, let's just, let's just make the AAA industry more like the indie industry. Like, I know it's not that simple, but that's kind of something that I wanted to, to do and encourage with faith uh horror games especially not about graphics it's about narrative mechanics and affect meaning the emotional impact or the user experience and if i can prove that you can do that with like a blob of pixels and a a voice synthesizer from the 70s then i hope that that inspires more people to you know a get into horror games indie, indie horror games and b maybe influence the industry as a whole um, to be more about passion projects and less about reaching that giant audience and and mil- milking that China money. <laughs> so that's my that's my soapbox. <laughs>